Welcome to episode 438 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, March 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, are you wearing green right now? Pinch me. I'm going to pinch you. I'm going to pinch you. I'm not. I'm wearing a red Marvel shirt and just finished eating an orange Cheeto sandwich, so I don't... Uh, there was a lot of no discussion green. about this uh, th- this Cheeto sandwich in my chat. Your your life is creeping in on my chat. Um, <laughs> I like the idea that it was a heat check of a sandwich. Th- that's <laughs> exactly what, like, that was the funniest one was, like, does Eno think he's so good at, at sandwiches that he can he can have a Cheeto sandwich and we're just going to accept it? And I'm like, you know what? That's a pretty damn good question. Like, it is. At the same time, I come out on the pro side. I thought it looked tasty. I'm a guy who will throw some chips in. I like I like getting the crunch in there. So I supported it. How was it? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I, I there was an idea that kind of came out of it. A lot of you know, a lot of the stuff that I do is not. I'm not saying this is amazing. I'm saying let's try this, and then maybe something cool will come out of it. And one idea that came out of it from Derek Van Riper over at Rotowire, which I kind of like, is to maybe crush up the Cheetos next time. And then dip a bread and egg, and then in the Cheetos, and fry the bread, oh, and shit. then take maybe like avocado and bacon, and uh, put that on the inside. So you would have creamy, salty, crunchy on the inside, crunchy on the outside, uh, cheese. Oh, uh, it has a lot of the things you want. Maybe God. use the hot Doritos. I'm I'm dying right now. Like I want I want this right now. <laughs> I want this right the now. The hot Cheetos would give it like a little bit of spice and and cheese and yeah, I think that might be a fun fun thing to do. It would look pretty weird too. So I like, like that idea. I uh I ate pretty early. You know, it wasn't really lunch. It was like a it was like a brunch. Not quite. Obviously, I didn't go anywhere. But so I and I need to eat lunch. Basically, is what I'm saying. It's four o'clock Eastern uh, Central Time. And I haven't eaten, like, that just made me so hungry. So we're going to wrap up the show. That was episode 438. <laughs> got to go to lunch. No, I'm just kidding. But we got some baseball to talk about, you know. Uh, we're going to cover two teams today because we are a little bit behind on the team-by-team breakdowns. We're going to get to all of them. Don't you, don't you dare worry about that, y'all. I'm going to get some guests in here. Might do some solos. Jason and I, you know, and I, we're going to get to all these teams. So we got to hustle. So we're going to do two teams today. Um, nothing on the transaction front, so that helps. I do have a question for you, though. I do have a leading off question of the day. Since you seem to know your fingers on the pulse of all this, who's getting cut next now that Derek Norris was DFA? Uh, the, the, you're the waiver wire whisperer. Prank call, prank call. Who, who, who do you think? No, I'm not going to be the DFA whisperer. Please don't, don't do this. You know, <laughs> whose career do you want to end? No, I'm kidding. Exactly. I had, I had to put it in there. Um, yeah, Byungo Park and Derek Norris. We talked about both of them, uh, getting DFA'd on this show and they've come to fruition. So, you know, Eno's not trying to put anybody out of work. It's just. Might call- get there. Might get there on the Padres. There's, there's probably some. There's probably some people Actually, there. You know, maybe the crowded team. Maybe Cleveland's the one that's that's going to cut somebody. I mean, it, Ooh, it, it, it could happen. Cleveland and San Diego. Those are the teams we're talking about. Let's dive in. Let's talk Cleveland because obviously uh, they're a very interesting team. World Series competitor, very close to winning it all, and they didn't even have some of their best parts, which we will talk about. But we're going to start with offense. 
And I want to start at the top of their lineup because it's a really I- I- intriguing situation there. That Of course, they added in the middle with uh, Edwin Encarnacion. That's an upgrade over losing Mike Napoli. But at the top of their lineup, they're two table setters, two switch-hitting middle infielders. Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor both had awesome fantasy seasons last year. Neither has like the standout uh, counting category. But they do have great batting average and a bit of everything across the board. So what what's next for those two, Lindor and Jose Ramirez? The, the market's interested in them, especially Lindor. But like, what do you see? Where do they go from here, really? You know, it, it is funny. Jose Ramirez is undervalued, mostly because he doesn't have that standout skill, and it's hard to know how to plug him into your team you know you're a lot of times you're like oh i'm gonna get steals from this guy get power mm-hmm. from this guy and when you get jose ramirez it's almost like getting like a melky cabrera for your infield that's where... a good call like a peak like a peak melky isn't lindor similar though i trust lindor to, to to steal more bases okay and you know i know that he only threw stole 19 last year but he did it at a better clip yep uh, he's a year younger than Jose Ramirez. He has more standout uh, stolen base totals in the minor leagues. And just looking at the two, I would give uh, Lindor more more speed. And, you know, in the past, Lindor's hit for more power, and he hits higher in the lineup, so, you know, more runs, I think. And, um, you know, it's just overall slightly better. But it is funny. I mean, it, we're... We're making me feel bad again about my about my uh, choices in AL labor. Which, by the way, somebody asked what that was, and I just want real quickly. It's it's the oh, it's yeah. a twelve team AL only league that's very deep because you have five outfielders, middle infielder, all that stuff. It's an auction league that's been around since the eighties. Keith Olbermann started it, and it's uh, Steve Steve Gardner over at USA Today runs it. And it's probably one of the top three. Uh, experts leagues in the country, so that's that's why we bring it up sometimes. It's basically for us like, oh, that deep league, you know, that exactly. super deep. League. Yeah, it lets you know. It gives you a, a, a view into how super deep leagues are going to work. Single leagues, they're both very deep. It stands for the League of Alternative Baseball Reality uh, Labor, and it's been around for a very long time. So yeah, that it, it's a league we're going to talk about a lot because. It, it should help folks in super deep leagues, not necessarily mixed leagues, but like we'll talk about like names that maybe somebody in a 20 team mixer be like, oh, okay, cool. I, I, I can look at him. Um, how does, how do Lindor and Ramirez, how, how they have you making regrets for your labor team? No? Well, I had, I bought Lindor for big money and Jose Ramirez went for less money and then had oh, Jose okay. Ramirez as a target because of uh, potential value, um, you know, potential value according to ADP versus uh, auction value. So, you know, I, I, you know, no regrets now. Let's go Let's go into it. I do think that in terms of ceilings and floors, maybe their floors are somewhat similar, but I would say that, uh, that Jose Ramirez's floor is lower because if either of these guys steals 10 bases next year, for me, it's Jose Ramirez. If, if, just, if either of them steals just 10 bases, is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and so, that makes sense because – you know, Ramirez has never been a, a major base stealer um, until last year's 22 that were a spike. In fact, they were more than he'd had in his in his career total before that. He stole 10 and 10, and, and there were part-time seasons, so that was his first full season. Um, so I guess it's probably keeping pace. But 22 for 29, 
solid, uh, you know, not uh, over the top. Let me see what that rate is. So 76%. That, that's pretty darn good. I want to give him his credit. Right. But, it's pass break even, but it's not. It's, uh, I mean, uh, Lindor went 19 for 24. I think that's better. <laughs> uh, also, I just, like, when I think of them, I think of Lindor as the speedier guy. I agree. I think in terms of body and, and watching and the eye test. So, From raw, raw uh, speed skill standpoint, I, I, I totally agree there. I just like both. You know, I, I like both a lot. I would actually put both on a team, uh, Lindor and Ramirez. I'm just, even though I agree with you that, that Lindor's skill set, uh, his pedigree is richer, I am, I do find it a little bit curious that Ramirez goes 68 picks later. And so you hit on it that perhaps Lindor, uh, Ramirez is a little bit underrated more than I think Lindor's overrated. Yeah, those are also excuses. I mean, the, the, I knew going in, and I would say to our listeners, Think a little bit more about Jose Ramirez because this price is so much lower. I mean, I paid $30 for Lindor, and though my projections said about $30, my projections for Ramirez, which did have a, a step back in, in stolen bases for him, they still said he was like an $18 player. I kind of want to open this, but, uh, but and uh, I think he went for 11 or something. So let me get this open so I actually know because it's it's kind of instructive. Well, while you do that, I'm actually going to look at at what what their values were last year because I know that they were pretty close. And just looking at the HQ Baseball HQ forecaster earlier, I saw that they were like 28 and 30 respectively. I'm checking where our auction calculator has them uh, to kind of compare that to. I thought I picked AL only. Why is it showing me Gene Segura? Oh, because he's a Amer- but I, I'm doing 2016. Come on auction calculator hook me so up so Jose dude. Ramirez was not a, a shortstop in the correct in LA. third base and right so he was valued at $23 and went for 20 so that's still $3 of value uh, the $23 on my value sheet and the ADP though is 18.5 so you might get Jose Ramirez for even even better value than that oh yeah um, average draft wise they are they are so far split that it makes Ramirez the more interesting proposition to me, even accounting for the fact that I believe and I agree with you that Lindor is better. Again, this is not to shade Lindor's pick uh, over at like top 30 or something where he's going. It's more to say you need to be in on Ramirez who's going five rounds later. Yeah, he's an interesting – it is an interesting selection to make, but if you think that those you get those steals back, and then you go with maybe a high-powered outfield, then you, what you get from Ramirez is just that, that goodness where he d- he's a, not a negative in any category, and he's a, a positive, a real positive in batting average mm-hmm. and, and steals. So it is a, a little bit weird to put that guy at third base, but then you have third-base outfield, and if you want to get like a, a, a high-powered third baseman drops later, then you can, you can get him later. So he gives you positional flexibility, you know, and stat flexibility where you can go any in any direction from that. So. And he could, Ramirez could add second base this year. Jason Kipnis nicked, uh, nicked right now. Um, and so if, if there's a situation there where, where Ramirez goes to second base and qualifies, that's good to go there too for more positional flexibility. So bottom line. What would happen if that's the case? They would have to play somebody at short, and I mean at second, and then at third. I think that might be Lonnie Chisenhall. Uh, Giovanni Urshela is an interesting name to keep an eye on uh-huh. too. He's he's been always ready. Yep. And plays third base. Otherwise, I mean, if it's so, I guess you could move Chisenhall over. Uh, if you move Chisenhall over, what opportunity is granted then in the outfield? 
I guess Geyer could start. Geyer could start. Austin Jackson, Abraham Almonte. Is he still sticking around? Mel- Almonte, is yeah, he still with them? I think he might make that team. So, uh, so let me see. Ursula's 25 years old. He's got to be running out of time because he's been with the organization for six years. Um, so that's in, he, so he has to be on the 40 man. So he's on the 40 man. So he'll be up and down probably. He's projected to hit 250 with below average power, below average patience, and decent contact. So it's not a it's not a great uh, skill set where there's no real tool that stands out that says this is why he'll make it. Yeah. Other than perhaps contact, but if it's contact without much authority, then it won't lead to a 300 you know batting average or anything. Yeah, so it won't do much at the bottom of the line. I don't think that there's a real opportunity there other than what you said that perhaps you get some more eligibilities out of Jose Ramirez because he does seem to be the guy they move around. Let's let's jump to the outfield then because you, you, you brought it up a little bit. There could be an, uh, an opportunity there if Chisholm moves back into the infield to cover that third base while Ramirez goes to second, that chain reaction there. And the outfield is a really interesting factor for this team right now. you got Michael Brantley, uh, Tyler Naquin, and then Chisholm slotted in versus righties uh, in, a, in a platoon with Brandon Geyer. Okay, we move Chisholm Hall in. That creates an opening. You got Brantley with his shaky health. You got Tyler Naquin, who I'm just I, I'm very suspect on skills wise, and so not for the start of the season, but where we're gonna get to Bradley Zimmer and and Greg Allen here in a moment. I want to focus on the the here and now. Michael Brantley, when he first got hurt, you know I got to give you big credit on this. The very, immediately before we knew anything, it's going to sound easy to say now, but I promise y'all this was, this was right when we were getting into it. Um, and everyone had high hopes that, oh, it's just going to be a little bit. He'll get back to beasting quickly. You said, watch out. I don't like this long term. I'm very concerned about Michael Brantley in the long term. Back issues are problematic. He's got back, shoulder, you know, it, it, it has just become a problem at this point and we don't really know what we're going to get. He's going to be 30 years old this year. Where are you currently on Michael Brantley now after essentially missing a full year and still in the cloud, uh, you know, still with a cloud hanging over him about health? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because he also had that power outburst. So you kind of, you want him to be able to hit 10 plus homers again uh, because he's not going to really steal 20 again. So, you know, if he doesn't hit 10 plus homers and he's like a nine homer, 12 stolen base guy, then he has to really pump up that batting average. And, you know, he, he still, even then, is almost like Melky Light, you know, speaking exactly, of Melky. Exactly. So it's kind of, it's it's been such a long time, I think, since people remember, you know, the days when Michael Brantley hit 280 with six homers and 12 stolen bases. But I think that this case, at this point, that's a almost the best case scenario Ooh. for me. Uh, because that would be a healthy, you know, that would be a healthy season where, and I think, you know, the Indians would take it because they have outfield problems. They, sure. They need, they need warm bodies out there that can play, that can be above average on offense. Even, and I think that would be above average on offense, but it isn't something that would be necessarily above average in fantasy offense. No, you know? no, I, I don't think it would. And yeah, you're right. If you told the Indians right now, you say, listen, all you're going to get is 105 to 110 WRC plus. But it's yeah. for 600 plate appearances for Michael Brantley. I think they take it because uh, you know if if he, if he's healthy enough to play that much, they're going to assume there's a, a modicum of quality defense, and all of a sudden he's a two and a half, three win player, and you take that to the bank, even though you're shooing you know the six win guy. 
when you pop up as a six win guy out of nowhere at age 27, not out of nowhere, like he had skills, but when it's your career year, of course you have to expect backslide. And now we've seen injury piled onto it. I agree with you that I'm, I'm very skittish about Brantley at this point. He's not even played in any major league, uh, spring training games. He's, he's messed around in some of the minor league games, but it's a situation where it's name value right now. And I don't think he's, he's properly being valued even as a, uh, a, a low cost target. I'm just not paying the premium for him. So, I mean, even the if you're using depth chart projections to do your valuation, that's 292 with 12 homers and 12 stolen bases. Like, that's not that great, and that has 525 plate appearances in there. So, you like, you're kind of almost paying retail, right? If you that's what mm-hmm. you're if that's what you're paying for, I don't think there's necessarily a lot of upside beyond that. So, it's not like here's this. I'm paying, I'm getting Michael Brantley super cheap. Unless, you know, okay, so Brantley popped out with that. I'm using ATC. Uh, let me just see what what he popped out in, in my f- five outfield, 12-team AL only. So he should have some good value. That'd be great if, if he okay. did the depth chart season, by the way. Like, I just don't see it. Yeah, well, uh, with something that looks like that projection, he had an $11 value and he went for 7 so, there you go. Few few I mean, bucks. There is a little bit of opportunity there. It few just bucks. seems like a lot. You know, what's another uh, another eleven got dollar guy that went for similar was Corey Dickerson, who's uh, also a major health risk and has a little. Oh wait, that's Alex Dickerson that has a little something yeah. right now. But but either way, it, it's it's Corey another Dickerson's a health risk, but he's younger. Yes, um, he was valued for twelve and went for nine. Josh Reddick. Uh, I guess he's a health risk, but he's, I don't know, these guys aren't um, dealing with a major injury that just derailed an entire season. Yeah, they didn't I mean, lose a, literally full season. a full yeah. year. He played 11 games. Uh, you know, yeah. he was a non-factor entirely, and so, you know, that's that's tough. So, and this is also a place in the rankings where there are similar values. So even though it seems like a lot to get $4 out of Brantley, all the guys around him are almost the similar values. Leonis Martin, twelve dollars, went for ten. Cameron Mabin, thirteen dollars, went for nine. Corey Dickerson, twelve dollars, went for nine. See, it's like it, it, he's just in that part. And right there, Tyler Naquin, ten bucks, went for eight. So the if you want to say anything is I, from Brian Bradley, I would say, hey, look for a ten dollar outfielder. <laughs> <laughs> right, you'll probably get some good value there. Maybe not Brantley, but another ten dollars. And, and and just don't overrate the name. I I would love a Michael Brantley comeback entirely because I, you know, not to toot my own horn too much. Actually, I love tooting my own horn. Let's be honest. But I was in on him a little bit early there for the breakouts, and it was great. It's fun. It's fun to be in on on a breakout when it hits. But that doesn't, uh, you know, just because I'm, I'm longing for those years doesn't mean I'm going to overpay to get back to that 14, 15 level. You got to be smart about Michael Brantley. And I think in, in the, in the long term of the season, it's going to create opportunities for those two prospects. And I want to talk about them in relation to Tyler Naquin. You know, I'm not calling DFA whisperer here or waiver wire whisperer on Tyler Naquin. I don't think he's going to get cut. I do think he's going to get demoted though at some point. I just, I'm not a believer in what he did last year. And I think that, that Greg Allen uh, or Bradley Zimmer are going to force their way up and they're going to eat up Tyler Naquin's playing time. Now, maybe they come up either way because Chisholm Hall moves in and, and there's a spot in the outfield anyway, or Brantley creates that opening and uh, Naquin's just fine. But 
I, I just, I have some concerns there, and I think one of those prospects is, is gonna be the dude. How do you, how do you see the rest of the outfield panning out as it, as it relates to Naquin, and then prospects Bradley Zimmer and Greg Allen? You know, I think that Naquin did, Naquin did make some adjustments where I think he stepped closer to the plate. Mm-hmm. And, and sold out for power. Sold out for power a little bit. You can see there's huge uptick in strikeouts, and, you know that got uh, that that got uh, shown by I think Jeff Sullivan and 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 August Fagerstrom wrote really great pieces about them. However, you know right around the time that they wrote those pieces, Naquin went in the toilet. I with, mean, with with said strikeout rate being major culprit. Yeah, and I don't know if I mean he he looked a lot more like Michael Brantley in the minor leagues. So, you know, for him to come up and, and, and slug like he did was very surprising. And if you look at his ISO by month, June, 446. July, 333. Those are ISOs. Yeah, those are ISOs. 158 in August. Just to give you an idea of what's average, average is around 160. So he went from uh, Gary Sanchez to Nelson Cruz to Jose Ramirez to me. And then September, October was .045, so uh, Jason me. Hayward. <laughs> you know, obviously, I wouldn't even get it. So, yeah, August 5th through the end of the season, uh, .078. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the .045 in that's September. That's a big sample. That's, not, that's two months. That's, a, that's one homer in his final two months after what was it like 12 in the first, in, in the first run there? I'm, pull, I'm doing that game long now here. Uh, 13 in his first 231 plate appearances for Naquin. And so, you know, it was a great spike. The league adjusted to him. He could adjust back and continue to, to do well. I think that that was probably the best run of his career that we're ever going to see. That 231 plate appearances is going to be Tyler Naquin's ultimate yes. peak. That doesn't mean that he goes completely into nothingness, but like one of the things, it's funny because I remember talking about Michael Brantley's injury last year and I said, you know, Tyler Naquin could get some playing time and be a steals option for you. We only mm-hmm. went six for nine. I thought maybe he would, he would get some running in there. It never was a huge speed guy in the minors either. I just thought, hey, I'll give you some cheap speed, maybe like some, deep league, deep some batting average. Speed, exactly. Sure. But instead, he gives power uh, and batting average. Has a hell of a 365 plate appearances when you add it all up. But it was interesting that I, I couldn't have been more wrong on, on, on the side of what he was going to deliver. <laughs> and now I'm just like, I don't really know what to make of you. And his defense is pretty suspect. And I'm not just talking about the, the drop fly ball thing in the, uh, in the World Series or the, the Bermuda Triangle one where he, he and Chisholm Hall didn't quite communicate. I'm just talking in general. He, he does, he doesn't have exemplary defense that says, oh yeah, he's going to hold off these two prospects. And the, and the worst part for Naquin is that it's two guys. You have Bradley Zimmer, the high pedigree guy that, that everyone knows that's beasting in, in spring and, and uh, looking the part all the way up the minors. And then you have Greg Allen, who isn't quite as heralded, but is still very good. He draws really nice reviews. Saw him at the Arizona Fall League. Very intrigued, <clears throat> excuse me, by his bat as well. I think one of these guys is going to make a, a, a major impact with Cleveland this year. Do you have a lean towards which you like more? Well, we've talked about not overrating spring stats too much. Correct. But we also talked about if there was something 
that you were going to look for in the spring and what would it would be. And, what, you know, on the offensive side, for me, it was strikeouts because strikeouts are one of the first things to become meaningful. You know, other than that, it's ground ball, fly ball rates. But the problem is we don't always have those for minor leaguers. So, True. Um, you know, that's that's hard to sort of figure out. But for Brad Zimmer, you know, the, I think strikeouts are a major concern. He had a 37% strikeout rate and 150 plate appearances in AAA last year. And even before that, he was always over 25% ever since he hit the high majors. So he's always had the ability to do enough power to, to, and patience to make up for that. And he may not be uh, um, you know, a batting average guy, and he may not have a great strikeout rate in the major leagues. However, 37% is untenable. Like, that's not even – that you'd have to be Miguel Sano to make that work. You exactly. know, you'd have to be ripping the cover off the ball every time you touched it. You'd have to be Keon Broxton where you were, you know, one of the best defenders, one of the best base runners, and, you know, having like pushing 360 Babbitts all the time. So I don't – know if Brad Zimmer is that type of character like he does have a lot of loud physical tools and long long ass levers but I think the best thing about his spring stats are that he has now come to the plate let's see here um, 41 times oh I was reading that wrong <laughs> I thought the walks were the strikeouts and the strikeouts were the walks well, he's come to this plate 41 times and struck out 10 times. So. Yeah, Zimmer's actually ha- – so, but in that yeah, vein – That's all right. That's 25%. It's not 35%. It's not it, – you know, it's not as bad as it was before. And he's probably fa- – since he's leading the, the team in at-bats other than Richie Schaefer, you know, I think that 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 means he's been facing decent pitchers. You know, he's been exactly. playing the front half of the game, not the back half. So. Well, what, one thing I thought you were going to go to with that, though, was to actually give Naquin some credit because he has three strikeouts in 24 at-bats. Um, and, and, and he is raking in, in spring training. And if he's making adjustments, of course, it renders it renders my analysis moot. I, I, I mean, if he can hit for power and be the old Naquin that hit for batting average, I mean, those those two Naquins are in there. It's exactly. Like with it's kind of like with Matt Duffy. Matt Duffy, the the now shortstop for the Rays, he was telling me with the Giants that you know he was taught first that he had to pull everything in high school, or because every, you know everybody was terrible, the pitchers were terrible, so he could pull everything. And then when he got to college, they told him, "Oh, you need to push everything because you don't have any power." <laughs> and then he got to the majors, and they said, "No, no, you have to be able to pa- pull the power, you know, pull for power some, or you you won't be able to. They'll knock the bat out of your hands." So, um, you know, Matt Duffy said he's a little bit schizophrenic where he's got a, these couple of people in him, but he's got these two different things he can do. I think Naquin, the best case scenario is that he knows, you know, when to hit for power and when to kind of be the old Naquin. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that is possible. It's nice to see his strikeout rate go down. It's nice to see Zimmer's strikeout rate go down. Um, and so I, I think there could be a big adjustment for both of them. And I don't think that they actually – I think the outfield state of the outfield in, in Cleveland is so bad that even if Naquin makes the adjustment, there's an opportunity for Zimmer. I think Zimmer is exactly. one of the best pickups this year in in redraft leagues where you like where you want that guy who's close, you know, yep. like kind of maybe Clint Frazier, uh, Brad Zimmer. You don't want to pick like Jorge Mateo for the, for the Yankees because he's further away. Or yeah, you're not taking Victor Torres. Robles just because he's yeah. a, an elite prospect. Like you're taking Bradley people. Zimmer. Yeah, so – Bradley Zimmer, if he makes that sort of contact ability um, adjustment and can strike out around 25% of the time in the major leagues, I think he'll be a lot better. He'll be 
way more tenable. I think he does have better defense than Naquin, so I think Zimmer, if he did come up, might push Naquin to the corner. Let's say Brantley either gets hurt again or Chisenhall uh, has to go to third for Kipnis or whatever, um, and, they, and they decide to, to, to go north with Zimmer. That's not impossible. I mean, the, these Indians are a win-now team. They just bought and went in Encarnacion. They want to win the division. They don't want to win the wild card. Exactly. So, you know, they might go north with Zimmer instead of Almonte or, or Jackson or whatever if if, um, if they think that'll give them a couple more wins. But I do think most likely is that we don't see Zimmer at least for the first two months because the Indians do like to keep that extra year of eligibility. So They're, they're definitely the team that, you know, like you mentioned, they spent some money this year, but when you can save a few bucks – uh, we can save that year. Remember, there was all that consternation about Chris Bryant not getting called up. And I get it from his side for sure. But now they have him for an extra year. So for all you Cubs fans that were worried about it, how's it, how's it looking now? Uh, quick word on Greg Allen. He's been kind of old for, for his levels. Um, but he has done well at them and he's stolen 50 bases per 600 plate appearances coming up through the minors. So if he gets an opportunity, he could be that big speed guy, uh, really has good control of the plate, 159 walks to 164 strikeouts in his 1,456 minor league plate appearances. And again, as you pointed out, the, the outfield in Cleveland is such that there could be opportunities for multiple guys here. And when you said Chisenhall moving to third for Kipnis, you meant with Ramirez going from third to second just before anyone messages and says, does does Eno think that Jason Kipnis plays third base? Because uh, I've never seen him play third mm-hmm. base. Uh, if, if you thought that Eno would make that mistake, that's how you probably sound. That, uh, that's no. just my imitation of it. It's just the Chisenhall moving around stuff. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Let's move over to the catcher and then get to their pitchers. Any real chance, real chance, not 5%, not 10%, any real chance of a Jan Gomes rebound after two hideous seasons? I think they bought high on him with that extension. I think they're a little bit stuck in a corner, and he's basically league average power, um, decent backstop. You know, that's I don't think he has anything else going for him. He's never really shown a sustained stretch of striking out less uh, since he's become a regular he doesn't. He doesn't walk much, and, and health has one, been an issue now too. Yeah, that one power spike. So I think, you know, I talked to somebody around the team who thought that Roberto Perez would take over this year. And I could see that would be it. even in a in a healthy year, and I think that comes from superior framing statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, and this was a big point of his was that when when Jan Gomes is not going well, he's not giving you anything. Exactly. By, so, by the so. way, you make a great point that um, on the contract that they bought high, like we praise all those buy early contracts because it, it's hard for them to be bad with the economics in, in the league, six years for 23 mil, um, because he had so much surplus value in in uh, 2013, 2014. They're still probably going to come out. Like if, if you consider some of that back pay for what he did there and then you look at it, but, but you can't do that too much because you can't just say, well, they're paying him for what he did because then there's no uh, extra value to that. He's been bad on the contract so far, and he still has three guaranteed years, two team options uh, that, that require a million-dollar buyout for each, 4.5, 6 mil, 7 mil, 9 mil, 11 mil, going from I mean, his age 29 to 33 for Jan Gomes. Again, not bad, but he certainly hasn't been good Put posting a .7 and minus .7 war the last two years. So he's been even the last two years, and only for like 150 games is the worst part. But it won't sink them because it's still about the same cost as you would you would pay on the open market. Correct. For- 
for a backup catcher. So Correct. It's not, it's not too far off the open market. It just doesn't give them that surplus they wanted. But as far as, you know, they they can't go wrong on a Hayward deal, I don't think. But I, uh, they, ca- they can't do a Hayward deal and, and be wrong. And miss. But You're right. They can, do, they can do this kind of deal and be wrong and be all right. But uh, Perez, when, when, he's, when he's not going well, at least give you walks. So, you know, Gomes is not giving you anything when he's, when he's going poorly. And, and, you know, just to put Perez in there and walk a couple times a game I think would be useful, especially so, if he's offering better defense and framing. So. You go in, uh, you, you, you may be looking at Perez as a C2 in, in AL onlys like the Labor League. If you, if you played another AL only like that and you wanted to go, um, Sanchez again, but you wanted to go cheap with your other guy, would you go Sanchez? Perez as like, would you want to stack a, a quality catcher, Luke Roy, um, or, or Sanchez, and then do a Perez one dollar? Is he is he an adequate one dollar guy for you? I do think he's a better than most of the other one dollar catchers. Okay, cool. I mean, uh, Kurt Casale went for a dollar, and he's the second or third Rays catcher, and they're looking at Derek Norris. So, yeah, and know. unless he faces the Tigers again, he hit like fifteen homers against the Tigers. He only hit eight last year, but like I swear. Nine of them were against the Tigers. is a decent catcher, and he'll he'll be worth a dollar. But and my value's even said seven dollars because he's backing up Jonathan Lucroy. But I mean, unless Lucroy gets hurt, there's just no chance that Chirinos is going to give you, you know, first catcher numbers. So. Exactly, exactly. And and we're saying that volume wise, Perez could take the job, and then he might not give you C one in terms of being great, but he'll give you C one volume. And that alone is probably worth what five bucks in an NL in an AL only, you know, if, if yeah, you just get the volume. Chirinos is giving you seven dollars. Uh, I have, and I got Jason Castro, who's got to be one of the worst C ones. But he's going to he play. For six bucks. Yep. Exactly. All right, let's move to the pitching because um, this, this a lot of the intrigue still lies uh, with the pitching with this team. Are you worried about Carlos Carrasco after the, uh, the, the bad outing and followed by saying that there's, you know, little, little bit of bulkiness with it, with his elbow? Where, where it, it's nebulous. There's nothing to really 100% go on. But where do you currently stand with, with our boy Carlos Carrasco? A guy we've, we've propped up very much on this podcast, both, uh, me, you, uh, and me and Jason in, in past years. Um, I'm not a doctor, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't, it, uh, they didn't diagnose him with any sort of sprain. Correct. That that's something that happens sometimes that they say, Oh, it was like, I think actually David price, there was like a bit of an elbow sprain situation. They were talking about, you know, there being fluid and, and, you know, they had to back him. So I think the David price situation is worse than the college grass. Okay. That's you know, good. He was clear to play catch already. Uh, he might just be a little bit behind where they have to skip his first turn or, or you know, he's the fifth starter nominally. Sure. You know, for, for the beginning of the season. So I don't. Quick, quick bit on that. The Indians don't need a fifth starter until April 15th. So Carrasco still has plenty of time to get healthy. That's a quote from, from Roto World's yeah. uh, write up. And you weren't going to project this guy into 200 innings anyway because so far he's done 134, 124, 134. Well, there was even a 46 in there. Uh, 134, 183, and 146. So he's just, and he's already had Tommy John. So he's not, he hurt himself running to first base. So, you know, he's not, <laughs> he's not, uh, a paragon of health. He doesn't, he doesn't look, he's, he's not spelt. He's not, you know, he's not Thor out there. You no. Know? So, um, I he's think a little that, soft. Uh, 
I think he could still make 175, 180 innings in a, in a best-case scenario. I think probably our depth charts have him a little high on the innings with 188. Um, but, um, you know, when you have a guy slotted into the first and second spots in the rotation, you, you kind of you give him the most innings, really. Yeah, and, yeah. and he'll be second. You kind of throw up your hands and say, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. Zips is the one here that, you know, 161. <clears throat> that seems very reasonable. 161 with a 330 ERA, 112 whip. That's still so good when it's in. It's going to have so many strikeouts, 10 strikeouts for nine. With 161 innings, you're still going to get so many strikeouts from that that I think he's going to end up still being a top 20 pitcher. So okay. I'm not. If he falls out of the top 20 in price, I think even if he falls out of the top 15, I'm buying. He's definitely moving down. Carlos Carrasco, pick 57 on average, but his max pick is now up to 162, which mirrors prices at 163. So it tells you that, that the NFBC... That must have been right after that. Had, had to be. Had to be the drafts right after. Yeah. And and it says that there's a similar scare there, at least at, at that time. I don't think he'll consistently be there, Carrasco, at, at, at that pick range. But let's say he jumps down closer to pick... 100, which would put him just outside of the top 20. Do you like him, Carlos Carrasco, at 100 or Danny Salazar at pick 130? I'll take Carrasco. Salazar has just as much injury risk. Absolutely. You know, and I, you know, our depth charts have him at 170 innings pitched, but look at Zips. There he is, 164. So, and then who do I trust once, you know, once the ball's put in play? Carrasco a lot more. You know, uh, Danny Salazar is the king of dick shots. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody throw it down the middle, you know, as often as he does. You know, it's usually going 95 or whatever. That's the thing. So it's, it's usually okay. good, and so he challenges guys, but 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 they get him. I, I remember a, a particular instance of that uh, against Miggy, and they were just having a great battle all game. And then Miggy got him in the seventh. He's like... You can't throw that many cock shots and, and expect to get away with yeah. it, dude. And and he went apo taco on him, uh, you know, some like hundred and twenty mile per hour madness out to yes. uh, out to right field because he got him. And and the good hitters do get Salazar when he keeps doing that. He keeps challenging. Uh, his command is an issue. He is another one of those guys that you look and you say, well, he's so good, he shouldn't give up these home runs or have these issues. Uh, he doesn't have great command of the stuff, and he, like you said, carries just as much injury risk. So um, I, I, I'm with you with Carrasco at a low. What if Carrasco meanders back up toward his current price, though, which is or, or his current average, which is 57 pick? Let's bump it down just a little. Let's say like pick 65. Is that split big enough that you would Who's go Salazar? Uh, the would you rather on Carrasco versus uh, his peers in that in that range would be Kyle Hendricks. Carlos Martinez and Jacob Degrom. They're all sixty six point three, sixty six point nine, and sixty six point seven. I think I'd take him above Hendricks just because I like Carrasco's skills better, mm-hmm. and I and I we there's a bigger body of research and knowledge about the type of skills Carrasco has than there are about the type of skills Hendricks have. Definitely has um, more statistics we can use to track those things. So what about Degrom and Seymour? I might take those. Uh, I might take those ahead. Now it's funny they all have they all have the same injury risk. Yes, and so uh, I, maybe the same. I say the same. They, you know, Degrom and Carlos Martinez don't 
in terms of recency. Well, they're not currently in their injury uh, risk window, but, you know, DeGrom had ulnar nerve surgery. Martinez has always been a guy who's had the kind of bulky. Three weeks ago, we would have said they had equal risk. Correct, correct. So I I don't, I, I think maybe when you're splitting hairs like that, maybe it's okay to take DeGrom. And, and Carlos Martinez over Carrasco because they haven't had a, a, a recent scare. That's fine. But what I'm saying is don't forget if it does widen, if the gap does widen, and, and what if you get DeGrom or Carlos Martinez and Carrasco's around in the next round? Oh, I would yeah, take both so much. Because there's, I think, probably in that scenario, there's like a 60, like a two-thirds chance that you have two really good pitchers. Yep, I'm taking two of those three. Right, back to back, so easily, absolutely. There's like, uh, there's probably like a twenty percent chance that you lose both of them for like the whole year. But you know that it's not that much higher than any give two given pitchers. That's what I'm saying. It's exactly. Like there's a forty percent DL chance for all pitchers, and the the either the riskiest pitchers are at like forty four percent, and the least risky pitchers are at like thirty eight percent. You know, it's yep. like. Not a huge. The, 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 it's just not wide enough to, to to make these distinctions, and we just don't know that much either. And I think that that's why uh, our lack of knowledge scares us so much when something does happen. And so you see maybe some overreactions when a Carrasco gets this news, and even David Price, uh, there could be some overreaction in some leagues. So you know, I'm not saying to ignore injury risk, but understand that every pitcher out there. It, you know, just because it's not being reported doesn't mean that certain guys aren't going through yeah. soreness and that they're like, you know, a little bit away from, hey, uh, I got a, I got a sprain here and it, it has to be reported. Like, don't assume that just because they're not in the news means they're 100% healthy. That was, that was the one thing that, that opened my eyes. I, I went at the winter meetings and just asked everybody, you know, what's something that you learned when you, when you got inside the game? So I asked a bunch of people off the record, what, what was something you learned when you got inside the game? And one of the responses was, pitchers are always hurt. Always. Always. They're just always hurt. And so you have to keep that in mind, um, that they're not at 100%. Pretty much, uh, John Smoltz illuminated on some of that when, when we interviewed him, talking about 10 starts, you're at your best. 10 starts, you're, you're, you're pretty close to your worst. And then the middle 10 to 12 kind of decides your season. If you can, you know, if you got two of your four pitches clicking, uh, at plus level during that, during during most of those starts, you're going to be really good. If you have eight of the 12 where only one of your pitches is working, you might have to grind it out. And so, you know, they're not they're not operating at 100% all throughout the year, and that's just what makes it so so difficult to handicap pitching. But I'm taking I'm still gambling on Carrasco with a price drop for sure, and uh, I, I like him with that trio. Last bit on their pitchers. Um, how many saves does Andrew Miller rip from Cody Allen? Like, what's their save split? If you got 45 to dole out, because they're going to be a good team. 30 and 15. Okay. Okay. I think he'll he'll get some where the lefties line up in the, in the ninth inning. Exactly. And But they but at the same time, they called they called Cody Allen their closer. That's what he, that's what he told his, his, his young man. So... You know, I, I don't think that it'll be a 50-50 split or anything. No, I don't either. And, and Cody Allen would have to fail pretty spectacularly, I think, to completely lose the job. I don't think a few shaky starts in, in – a few shaky outings in April is going to be enough to do it. I'm talking like he's going to have to have a – If it's a 
fluid bullpen. Maybe he loses it for a week, but then he's then there's a then there's some righties and he's been pitching better for a little bit, and they just put him right back in. You know? Exactly. So it's not yep. it's not like one of those bullpens I think where every night the reporters come in and say, you know, who's the closer hey, now? Who's the closer now? I think that they're gonna they're gonna kind of be like that's an irrelevant question for the yep. team, so don't ask me why I pitched Cody Allen last night or why I pitched Andrew Miller last night, and so that frees them up to kind of be more fluid and not not have to you know, award a guy a role. Maybe Boone Logan closes out a game because Andrew Miller. Actually, I did want to mention Boone Logan. Boone Logan has really good skills. And He's so a lefty looking, monster. Yeah, if you're looking for holds. You know, I think you might find some holds where Boone Logan comes in and gets one lefty. Yep, one know. out for the whole. Yeah. Like those lefties that are so great at being loogies, they can be holds masters. You know, a guy I remember from years ago. You might remember him because I believe he was on the Mets when he did it. Tim Burdak had like a major hold season. Yeah, like fifteen holds and thirty appearances. It, it was insane because they were all yeah. just these key lefty outings. And he got him, and 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 he had he had a huge hold season. It was it was pretty interesting. So I, I agree with you there. Boone Logan is a name to keep in mind because he has good enough skills, and, and he'll get you holds. So if you are in one of those leagues, yeah, you you like Miller for sure for holds, but Boone Logan's going to get his fair share as well. They have a pretty good bullpen. Um, you know, they, they've got studs. Brian Shaw still there. He pitched a lot of crucial innings for them in that playoff run. So they got four guys. Two righties, two lefties that they really like. And then they even like Dan Otero and Zach McAllister as long relievers. They're, they're set up nicely. They're set up very nicely. And they might not have to lean as heavily on a Carrasco or a Salazar on those days where they don't have it. So you might get some more five and dives from them than you would expect just because they trust the bullpen. So keep that in mind um, with them as well. You know, I want to finish on their prospects quickly. Because uh, we've already talked about the two ones that are going to make the most potential impact this year, Bradley Zimmer and Greg Allen. But they have some other guys, hitters, Bobby, hitter Bobby Bradley, pitchers Rob Kaminsky, Adam Plutko, Ryan Merritt, who we also saw in the playoffs. Any of those guys or anybody that I haven't named jump out to you as, as, as guys you're looking at to be potential impact players for the Cleveland Indians? Not this year. Not, yeah. not, uh, not anytime soon. I think they're going to slow cook everybody while they're, they're trying to win. Uh, keep their eligibilities for the next cycle. And then also, there's just too many options ahead of those guys. As much as Kaminsky might be interesting, there's Ryan. Ryan Merritt, I would think, is no longer even, I guess he's a prospect, but. Uh, he, he still technically really qualifies for the list. Yeah, but he's not in terms of like skills. He's not really, he doesn't really have a, like a plus, uh. Um, Anything. Pitch, really. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think, Mike Clevenger is the sixth starter, if that's what you're looking for. There yep. is going to be a decent amount of injury on this team, I think. So Mike Clevenger could get 100 innings this year. He's been he's better than his results have been. I agree. Um, and he can spin the ball. He's, he's a decent pitcher. Cody Anderson has all the pieces, but he's also coming off of elbow Health. surgery. Yes. I think maybe in the second half he could be their spot starter. And, I even like Carlos Frias. Ryan, Ryan Merritt. Well, Carlos Frias is the interesting type because if he makes if he makes the team or they manage to sneak him through waivers and, and keep him there, like he's super fungible. I mean, yep. they could bring him up for a doubleheader uh, for just a spot start. So you'll you'll see him, but it'll be hard to know exactly how they'll use him because they're just going to you know they're going to use him however they, however they want. They won't be concerned about you know putting him on waivers again. You know, he'd just be this guy who's up and down all year. 
Absolutely. Um, I think, I think, I think you nailed that spot on. So let's jump into San Diego. Go to the other end of the spectrum here in terms of team quality. Um, still, still some interesting stuff though, at least on the offensive side. Uh, we're literally not going to talk about their starters at all. Uh, I have nothing to say about Jared Weaver, Yuli Shasin, Clayton Richard, Trevor Kale, and Christian. Like we're not, we're not. I put which of their SP. One good pitch. What's that? Oh yeah, yes, yes. There's, there's one good pitch on the crew. What, Luis, Luis Perdomo sinker. Luis Perdomo, uh, he doesn't have a job currently, at least according to no. roster resource, but I think he's going to have a chance. Why? Who's going to push him out, Richard? They have Clayton Richard, Trevor Cahill, Christian Friedrich, Yuli Shasin, and Jared Weaver. Oh, well, here's some opportunity then, because our depth chart is totally different. We have Cozart, Perdomo, Friedrich, Shasin, Weaver. So we don't even have Richard or Cahill in. Boom. So it's uh, up in the so air. There's, there's, you could get a crappy pitcher that that exists and throws 150 innings that you normally wouldn't want on your team. But if you are an NL only, I would say Perdomo's. I like Nice He's the one guy. You're right. Um, when I was I was looking at roster resources, and I was like, we're not talking about any of these guys. But yeah, yeah. Perdomo, I do have some well, love we for. We can, we can still be done. I mean, that's the most that we should talk about. And I actually, there's not even really super exciting anything coming up. Tyrell Jenkins can't find the plate. Nope. Zach Lee can't strike guys out. Uh, Cesar Vargas is shot in the dark. Maybe a find. I would. I'd want to know. Yeah, I'd want to see more out of him. Robbie Erlin coming off of injury. Uh, you Perpetually know, really coming off of injury. Like, yeah, always. And, and hasn't really been what I thought he would be coming out of uh, prospect dumb, So Same. We could actually probably knock out the bullpen pretty quick because, you know, there is, uh, you know, an incumbent in Brandon Maurer. Uh, there's a great lefty. Brad Hand is a really good lefty. Had an he amazing season, by the way. He might get traded into holds in the second half. Um, he could be useful just for ratios. He has kind of the Miller skill set. I'm not sure he has the ability to put up that many innings. They, but they gave him closers. They uh, gave him 89 last year. He led yeah. baseball in, in games, 82. So, so he got the chance last year. Interesting guy there. Uh, Ryan Buchter could be the replacement closer if Carter Caps is still 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 hurt, and Carter Caps could be the closer, but he's coming off of injury, and, and who knows if he uh, the, the Padres may not push Caps to be ready for opening day. They say so. Okay. Uh, it's probably I'd give Maurer ten saves, Caps ten saves. You have to you have to push those down because they might get traded at any moment, and because the and, team sucks if they do stay all year. Right, and then I'd give Ryan Buchter ten saves. So okay. That's about it. I got, I, I got a sneak tip. I got sneak tip. I'm, I, I know we, you said we have him in the, uh, in the, in the starting rotation, and I could see that for at least the start of the year. But I'm gonna put Jared Cozart in the bullpen, and he's getting five saves. He's a future closer, folks. Book uh, it. Yeah, I mean he's he's got closer stuff. If you just focus on his fastball and his breaking ball, like he's got two good pitches. It's That's just, what I'm saying. No command and no ability to keep that command up and velocity drops off. He totally is a reliever. At some point, we have to give it up with, with the starting. He just, what, what more does he need to show that he doesn't have it? Brad Hand was very similar in terms of he was a, a big pitching prospect and like, man, this guy could be a really good lefty and he just didn't have it as the starter and he's turned into a great, uh, reliever. Had an amazing year last year, as I mentioned. 89 and two, uh, in the third innings, 111 strikeouts. So, um, I, I think Kozart can, can get in the mix there. And that, that covers pitching. So now we can focus the rest on, on the hitters here. It's so sad, honestly, because this used to be a great place to find, oh, you know, 
find pitchers that people weren't paying attention to, but like, can you honestly say any of these guys is gonna have like a three-two-three-three three, three ERA? No, like, I can't. I I don't see anybody. Where I'm like, oh, I mean, Juli Sassin, maybe if he throws a curveball. He a messed more, around a bit last year at different but, times too, and then came right back to earth. I'd say you'd be lucky to get like a three-eight-nine from him or something. You know? Yeah, and and like. You know, I used to fall for Trevor Cahill for years, but but he's another guy who moved to the bullpen and showed that maybe that that's that needs to be his role. And then, how many, even if he does go back in the, into the starting rotation, how many innings does he have? I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's thrown a hundred and eight over the last two years combined, and it only gets worse if you go. Oh no, it's one hundred and ten in twenty fourteen. So I don't think he could go past a hundred. Um, although maybe they just say screw it, we don't care about your arm. You're yeah, I was gonna say maybe at age twenty nine <laughs> they give him one thirty, and then they're like, then you're somebody else's problem, dude. Right. We, we just got to get fourteen hundred and something innings to get through the season, and, and we're gonna use you for that. So, yeah. But some of his velocity boost was obviously from going to the pen. 92, Absolutely. At ninety two, the last couple of years when he was in the starting rotation before is eighty nine, and the league has gone up since then. So that 89 is more like 88. So if they put him in the starting rotation, he might be 88 miles an hour. I, I don't see a guy that doesn't have Hendricks, you know, level command putting up a good ERA with an 88-mile-an-hour fastball. So, yeah, Nay. it can be done with them. All right, pitching or uh, hitting time. Let's just start at the top. Their best player, their most impactful fantasy guy, coming off a 28-28 season. That was awesome. Uh, Will Myers. But what does he do for an encore? Because... You know, neck spasms. What he has neck spasms right now? Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> That's what he does for an encore. Neck spasms. Neck spasms. Fantastic. So you know, when you kind of uh, unpack the season, and like I said, it was a brilliant fantasy campaign. There's no denying that. But when you start to look at kind of the the supporting skills and, and, and the underlying factors. It's not as great as, as you might have thought. Like I like a 10% walk rate and, and 24% strikeout rate. It's not bad, but neither of those are so exemplary. And then a 259 average uh, is, is definitely not even that good. So if he doesn't run at the same clip, like how great is Will Myers as a top 60 pick right now? He just he stole as many bases as he did on in all levels combined since 2012. <laughs> So that's sweet. Four years previous. By the way, the, just did it. like uh, it, it's another case of of the Manny Machado thing, just telling you how sketchy stolen bases are oh with regards to the it team. Be like Manny Machado and put up zero next year. Exactly, like because it's a decision Whoa. thing, and and if he, he is, say, he did say he wants to, to steal, right? Probably. I don't know. Did he say he wants to go forty forty? Yeah, he did. I thought. I, yeah, I think I recall him saying. That's just silly. Something like that. But he's had injury issues coming up throughout. That's what kind of has stunted Will Myers up until last year's bust through 88, 87, and 60 games. And so if he gets a nagging injury or two, I do think the running falls off. I, I, I'm bummed because I really like Will Myers. I was a big fan of him last year, but the cost is just too high for me at this point. Last year he was dirt cheap, of course, because he hadn't done anything. And now he's shot all the way up to pick 56 on average. I don't think so, Tim. That was a home improvement reference for those of you that are uh, lame as hell, just like me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that from now on. Whenever you say something I don't like, I'm going to go, I don't think so, you know. <laughs> hey, Paul, should I make a, a Cheetos-based sandwich? I don't think so, you know. Laugh track. <laughs> Laugh track. Uh, I, you know, I just – I would project him – I think the projection system is giving him 20 steals or, or being aggressive because I think, it, like, just the conversation we were just having – 
So he says he wants to steal a lot of bases, steals a lot of bases, next spasms. The team says, why don't you steal fewer bases and have fewer next spasms? You know? <laughs> so it's like, I think that anytime that something creeps in, especially he's uh, he's got wrist problems. He's had ri- big problems time. with both wrists, big time. You know, sliding, uh, you know, running around the bases, using those hands, easy opportunity to hurt himself there. So either he does steal as much as he wants and he hurts himself stealing, or he nicks himself and they tell him steal less. So I, I'd give him 15 steals. And then the the power that he showed. That's the question. Then where's the where's the power? Can the power yeah, offset? He's always supposed to have this power. Yes. He, he, in the minors, he had power like this, and he was supposed to have this power, and that's fine. Um, it's more a question of volume and what this power looks like against the rest of the league, since the rest of the league has since decided to to juice the ball or whatever. So, you know. 28 homers three years ago would have been amazing. You know, 28 homers last year was all right. Sure. Especially from his position. The so. sneak tip with Will Myers was 99 runs, 94 ribbies on, on that, on that team. And, you know, we talked about how bad their pitching is. The offense up and down the lineup, like, is not the worst. Like, it's not good, but I don't think it's so bad that he, he can't, he can't Let's be adequate there. But like, where, yeah. Like what? What are the numbers gonna? Is he gonna do ninety nine, ninety four again? I don't think so, Tim. Um, Eighty five. I'm I'm writing it out. Uh, no, it's terrible. Please no, stop. It, it's definitely the, gonna the, keep happening. No, please stop. Eighty five, eighty five. How about this? Let's do a would you rather in first base around where he's going. Okay. Would you rather watch a full season no. of Home Improvement or want to watch that show again. me to continue doing that joke? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jose Abreu. I'll goes, tell you I watched the full season, and then you'll stop, and I'll never watch it. I'm going to quiz you on plot points. Uh, <laughs> episode 9, what happened to Randy? Oh, man, that girl didn't like him back because Brad always gets the girls. Okay, I'm going to go Brad. punch myself in the throat. <laughs> Will Myers, pick 56. Jose Abreu, pick 61. See, the thing of it is at first base, it's a big drop down, so we're going to have to expand it out to um, outfield or, or, or just the general player pool as well because he's – First base goes really weird here, you know. It's Freeman at pick 26, Myers at pick 56, Abreu 61, Hanley 81. So it's like these, it, it, it's really oh, spaced out. It's because, and I got the first base depth chart um, for, for, we're doing the positional power ranking. So I know exactly what's happening there. It's almost mirrors what's happening in the big leagues, which is either you have a star there or you almost completely punt the situation. Correct. And you yeah. go platoon or, or up Bill and Myers cover. Myers kind of represents that moment where you make that decision. Correct, correct. So uh, Abreu's close enough that you can do a comparison. So how do you feel about that? I, I, f- I feel like you're not huge on Abreu. Am I, do I have that wrong? No, I think I might take Myers over Abreu. I mean, because the steals give you a cushion on the batting average. And, you know, That's since true. they've started pounding, Abreu is like second or third in inside pitches um, over the last three years in terms of percentage. Yeah, he can get hits off of it, but he doesn't get power off of it. Yeah, the OPS on those inside pitches is pretty low, actually. It's like 600 or something. So he's just he's sort of like muscling those into play, but he's not he's not hitting off of tacos with those. So. Exactly. It's the yeah, yeah. That's a great way to describe it because he he'll, he'll off the fists a dinker over the second baseman for a base hit, but it, that first year he was oppo tacoing that 420 the other way. Maybe yeah. not 420, but he was going. He was going Apo Taco. So Myers over Abreu. The projection, the projection would have uh, for Abreu is you know that I believe in is sort of 290, 25, you know 26, 27, 
and I think that Myers can equal that power, and then with the scarcity of steals, you know that I think that you know gets him to the 285 uh, batting average. I was gonna say, yeah, so. even 10 to 12 steals I think would cover the batting so average. Who has about an outfield in the 60s? Yes, yeah, so I got I got a few more guys here for you. Um, two right off the bat, I want to I want to go with Christian Yelich and Gregory Polanco. Yelich at pick 58. Polanco at pick 63. I think I think I would take them because they're both going to out hit in batting average. They're going to equal him or surpass him in steals. And, you know, Yelik has, you know, like a probably like a 15 to 20% breakout opportunity mm-hmm. where if he just raises that launch angle five degrees or two degrees even, I think he could... Yeah, he could hit, he, and he, or at least as many as Myers, 25, and then he will have a, a way better batting average, you know, close to as many steals and close to as many as much power. So then he'll be a better deal. Plus, he doesn't have the injury history, so your plate appearance projections for both of them are going to be wildly different. That's a great. Polanco call. to me is easy pick above Myers. Million percent agree. I, do you have his breakout chance higher than Yelich's? Um, no, I, I, I love Polanco maybe, this year. Maybe, maybe. I mean, if he, it, all he has to do is figure out lefties a little bit more and hit for a little bit more power. But he was already so good that I'm not sure how much more breakout percentage to give him. But his fifty fifty season, his floor is higher than any of the guys we've talked about, and uh, and and he still does have a little bit of breakout ability left since he's he's so young. So. Um, and he's been looking good in the WBC for what it's worth. So. He has. I, you know, both him and his teammate, uh, Starling Marte, just, I mean, everyone's already jazzed on Marte. He has a very high pick. He's a second rounder. But Polanco somebody that I'm so high on. Uh, you know, we, we, were, we were pretty high on him last year. This is the toot your own horn uh, episode. Right. But we, we I remember speaking well of him last year. And then in the offseason, we said we're doubling down, uh, keep Keep with the Polanco stock, and I, nothing in my off-season study has had me waver on that one percent. In fact, I've gone the other way. I'm I'm, I'm buying even harder now. So uh, definitely, just from, the, just from the sniff test in terms of Myers of fifty-six, that's like a third-round pick. That's like a fourth, you know, fourth-round pick. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, I, in the fourth round, if if my choice, if Polanco's off the board, and I'm looking at. You know, Myers and Hanley and Abreu. Cespedes is right there, too, by the way, as another outfielder. I might take Cespedes over. I would take Cespedes over Myers. I'd take him under Polanco, probably. But if if the guys I like aren't there and I'm looking at Myers, I might still just go pitcher there because a lot of times I haven't. I don't have a pitcher yet. So yep. I'd be looking at, do I take an ace or do I take Myers? And I'd rather take an ace. Do you take Strasburg, Archer, yeah, yeah, yes, I would take Strasburg. Wow, exactly. I jumped out of my shoes there. Exactly. So, like, and he's if right there. Gone, you know, Strasburg it is. So, I, 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 I just don't think I'll end up with. So we're a little Myers. cool on Myers, and again, yeah. loved him last without year. Saying, without saying that, like, he sucks. No, 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 no. He's going to be injured. It's just like, he's probably going to be injured a little bit, and he's not quite as good as last year. And if he was averaging pick seventy five, would you be like yeah. much more geeked? Oh my god, I'd be way more into it. And it's yeah. not even that, like, I know going from 57 to 75 might not seem that big, but in the upper reaches of the draft, every little pick is, is a pretty substantial difference. So we're talking like just one extra round here with Myers would completely change our outlook, but at this cost, we, it's, we're incurring too much risk. And I think he's a great example of how much cost plays into how much you like a guy. You can love the skills, 
But if they're coming too expensively, you just got to move on and, and, and look elsewhere. And I think that there's just a bit too much risk with Myers, especially with the guys going around him. So let's move into their, their outfield because he got moved into the, uh, into first base, probably to keep him a little bit healthier, but also because they had outfield coming in. Now they've got this young outfield that they're hoping can, can hold up all year. And it would be really interesting if it could. Uh, it's currently looking like they're going to go, uh, left to right with Travis Jankowski, Manny Margot, and Hunter Renfro. Three, uh, two 25-year-olds and a 23-year-old, I believe, off the top of my head on that one. Don't quote me, but it's pretty close. I think, I think they're all under 25. I know Manny Margot is, is between 21 and 23 for sure. So you got three young guys, two speedsters, and a power guy. Assess. I'll just give you free for all on those. Uh, Hunter Renfro, Manny Margot, Travis Jankowski, take them in any order you like. Who's your favorite? Hunter Renfro. Okay. Because of the pop. I think, yeah, I think he could hit 30 homers this year. He, he, man, he looked so awesome in a little, it was a little stint, but the, but the magnitude of the stint with the power that he showed was just tremendous. So you think the playing time is, is secured for him to, to take his lumps as a strikeout guy and just crush for power? I do. I think so. Okay. I think this is the kind of team they want to, they're going to, they, they already started his clocks. So yes. So why the hell not? Throw him out there. Uh, they don't, the other guys, you know, Dickerson is kind of first base DH type. But he's and hurt. And Jankowski and Margot, and he's hurt, right? Yeah, he, then, ju- he just got hurt, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you, but the, Alex Dickerson, who I did like to, to mess with these guys, to be honest, I, I was concerned about them because of Alex Dickerson. He just got hurt, uh, with a, uh, disc in his back, I believe, three to four weeks just till he even gets back on the field. So he's kind of out of the consideration for me outside of NL only's right now. And it really opens the door for these three. And I think it opens the door mostly for Margot because Jankowski was probably going to be on the team and they could have, uh, you know, kept Margot down uh, by starting Jankowski in center mm-hmm. uh, and Dickerson in left. So, you know, with this, with this situation, I think what will happen is Manuel Margot starts Jankowski, uh, Gets a little bit closer to guaranteeing those steals. You can, you can't necessarily guarantee the whole season because Dickerson's going to be back. True. Uh, but he's going to miss at least a month, so you should you should give Jankowski at least a month of full time, and then probably at least half time uh, the rest of the way. So I think he, you know, our projections have him at five and six hundred percent, five and six hundred plate appearances. That seems a little bit um, rosy because. There are flaws in Jankowski's game that uh, offensively that could make him a sort of a defensive backup or a fourth outfielder. And, and a platoon uh, guy, even when he is playing. I don't think he's going to hit against lefties for Jankowski. Right. So I think Zips, again, is the safest one. 404 plate appearances, 26 deals. Still worth it in a lot of leagues. Uh, and it'll be top-heavy where it'll be good at the beginning of the season. So you could do something where you take him, even though you already have steals, you build up a steals lead, and then you tell somebody that you're trading with that you're trading Jankowski because you have too many steals, when in actuality you're, you're a little worried what happens when Dickerson comes You back. finesse that fool. I love it. I love yeah, it. That's not, a, that's not a bad little little gambit there. i got to ask you, because because he's getting love and, and there's some folks out there who like him and he's beasting in spring, how much, if at all, does Jabari Blash factor into things right now? He's got five homers, 1254 OPS, and a 28 play to, uh, uh, at-bats. But a 39% strikeout rate highlighting the problem that he's always had where he's just such an all or nothing guy. Is he just beating up on scrubs? Um, and, and he's the same guy, aka Cobblings 2.0, or do you see something out of Jabari Blash? 
I think he should be on our depth chart. He should probably make the team given Dickerson's uh, injury and just given how thin this team looks. Christian Betancourt is the number one uh, backup at like four positions, so. including including reliever, yeah, exactly. uh, catcher, so. outfield, reliever is how roster resource lists him, and I love it. Um, unfortunately, MLB the Show will not have him as a hitter pitcher because that they said it happened too late for them to try to code it. But uh, that would have been hilarious if you could just have shifted him into pitcher because you can already move him. If he was any good, you'd have the question of how to draft him. But we'll, exactly, we'll, we'll leave that for Otani. <laughs> but but yeah, exactly because he, because he's really not that good right now. Um, now, could he get enough playing time to be like a viable C two since he'll have catcher eligibility for Bethancourt, or is, is this just more of like a, a novelty twenty fifth man who can do a few things for you? It could be, but you know, it's all, it's very difficult to play a second catcher in that situation because in the in the outfield, because then you have to have a third catcher. I mean, that's how managers work. They always want to have a catcher on the bench. Always, like even when you get in those fifteen inning games, the last guy who hasn't pinch hit yet is usually that catcher in case something yeah. happens. So I think it'll be a little different unless they also uh, have Luis Torrance, which which is our third catcher on there. So I don't. I think that'll make it a little difficult for them to really play him a lot in the other positions. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Jabari Blash, just to bring back to him real quick, uh, he's the only guy I've seen whiff in batting practice. So, <laughs> I mean, I've literally seen it multiple times. So, oh, man, dude, that's bad. Are coming in at like 50 or whatever. That's so. so bad. Like, he had a 41% strikeout rate, just 84 plate appearances last year. I don't want to kill him on that. But 29, 28, 24, 30, 22, and I'm going, I'm going the opposite way. That, that was AAA going backwards. So they are get, they're getting a little bit better, but that's because the competition's easier. He's still always around that quarter mark or higher for his strikeout rate, Jabari Blashes, and this is consistent coming up. He just sells out for that pop. And to your point earlier, and this is obviously on a, on a bigger magnitude, to where the power doesn't mean as much. If if he was if he could have been projected to be like a twenty homer hitter three years ago, even with like a two thirty average, it might have been okay. But if you're going twenty and and, and two twenty right now, who cares? I'll just take Chris Carter and, and hope that you know playing time breaks for him and, and then, everything yeah. goes crazy and he can hit forty again. And it's a low enough ceiling where even in NL only, you're you'd rather. You'd almost rather take, um, you know, like a Carlos Oswaja. You'd almost rather take, like, somebody who isn't going to play, but if he does play, will be amazing. You know what I mean? So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not um, – you'd rather have a, a long shot than a guy who might play 200 innings uh, – 200 games and – or 200 plate appearances and – and give you a 220 average with 10 home runs. It's just a weird. It's just a weird thing to shoot for. So, so bad. So bad. Margot. Margot. You know, deserves a shout out. Uh, there's a non-zero chance that Margot hits like 300. He has the kind of almost John Jay-like skill set, I think. But but with a lot more speed, right? Yeah, with a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Decent. Yeah. More speed. More speed. So um, what what what's the speed upside? Let, let's let's play out that 300 season. Like he really busts through. Uh, he keeps the playing time, crushing it in center field defensively. Manny Margot, like a ten percent strikeout rate. Yeah, and just content, you know that that firecracker atop a lineup um, actually has a little bit of punch too. You might think of him as a, as a, as a speed only guy, 
but he has a little bit of punch to his bat to where he, he could he could hit maybe ten even if he played all year. But is he a is he a thirty five stolen base guy or is he twenty to twenty five for you? Well, I think three hundred is probably pushing it, but well, know, yeah, we're talking we're talking dream season here on that. Right. Best case scenario in his first season, I could see something like two eighty. 10 homers and 30 stolen bases. I think that would be a really good season for him. That'd be nice. And that would mean that his peak at some point might be something better. It might be three, 300, 310 with, you know, 12 to 15 homers and, and 35 stolen bases. Of course, you kind of, it's hard to do peak with stolen bases because you kind of, if you show 30 stolen bases, that might have been your peak. <laughs> exactly. You, you just don't know. And then if he does start to emerge and, and put on a little weight and gets yeah. thinks those hitting those homers are cool, maybe he goes for the 17 homers and and, and it's with 17 stolen bases, which would still be perfectly fine if I mean, he's look, hitting 280. Polanco might have debuted with his best uh, stolen base number. That's a great point, and, and we see that happen a lot. These guys that come up, make their impression with speed, but then they evolve a little bit, uh, slow down a little bit, and they say, "Hey, I don't need as much speed. I got, I got my, I got my, my impact via the bat elsewhere." So uh, that's a, that's a good point. But I do, I do agree with you that Margot is somebody to keep a very close eye on, and um, you know, he doesn't cost a lot. I think you can take a pretty reasonable gamble on him. Uh, bump him up a decent bit above his ADP, and you're still keeping net value in there. So I, I like Manny Margot. You mentioned Refro. We talked Janikowski. Shift back to catcher real quick. We talked about Bethancourt briefly. I want to talk about Austin Hedges. He had a big breakout at AAA last year. He was never known for his bat. He's one of those guys where if you're not a prospect guy and you just draft off of top 100 lists, you probably have Hedges on some teams, and you're like, what the hell did I draft? This guy, this guy is not a mm-hmm. prospect. Cap. Yeah, exactly. Cap. There's no such thing as a catching prospect. He was always a big prospect because of his catching prowess, not because he was going to be a fantasy mm-hmm. guy. Well, then last year he pops 21 homers in 82 games. I know it's El Paso, um, and, and the PCL, Pacific Coast League, AAA, but he never had shown anything like that. That's why I'm giving it some credence. 326, 353, 597. Do you know of any sort of changes that Hedges made? Like, where the heck did this come from? And can he bring some of it to the majors at age 24? Um, I I don't think so. Okay. But it is a pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing change. I'll probably tell him you uh, said that. I was I was going to tell him that you're talking uh-huh. trash. And he also changed. I mean, he did change his. If we want to look for sort of ground ball, fly ball stuff he did change uh his spray chart okay he started pulling the ball more and pulling in the air more so um you know i think that there probably is a big change um and uh you can see what are, what, are, uh, what are projections look like on hedges I'm, I'm pulling them up right now but i, I imagine you might he have added a kick yeah l- everybody gets some power from the, the leg kick that that's the thing right now, and that's part of where this home run surge came from. Ball's probably tighter, heat is is all across the country, but guys changing their approach is also a major contribution here. Projections got yeah. him for double the digit homers. Are, yeah, they're pretty happy with him. Yeah. In fact, I was gonna say, you know, add a little bit to the projections, but the projections seem to have baked a lot of that in. I mean, this is a guy who couldn't crack a 100 ISO, <laughs> you know. In his first couple of tries at Double A and the Major Leagues, he's he has between those tries at Double A and the Major Leagues, he has like 800 plate appearances of a .080 ISO, Ooh. and uh, 
so I was thinking, you know, this is going to go very poorly. Uh, but the projections look at that breakout, and they've actually baked it in and give him basically league average power next year, which I think would make him a great C2. Uh, he's still going to, you know, at least projection-wise, hit 250 and be in that group of of catchers that, you know, I've always joked that there's, there's you know, 20 catchers that can hit 250 with, you know, 12 homers. You're right. You're right, by the way. Either or time. Let's, let's play it with some with some guys. Let's go a little bit ahead of him right now. Uh, Austin Hedges is around pick 300. Let's go a little bit ahead of him uh, and start with Sandy Leone and Travis Darno. They're 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 dead even at 281. Uh, well, not dead even. 281.03, 281.05. That's their average pick. So they're right around each other. Between Hedges, Leone, and Darno, who do you like better? Hedges, Leone, and who's the last one? Travis Darno. Your boy out in there. Uh, definitely not Leon. I'm gonna I'm I'm fading to Leon. Uh Leon he um broke out with some uh nice exit velocity early on. Yeah, huge stretch to start and then became Sandy Leon. The exit velocity went away and the Babbitt went away and it all just sort of fell apart and he's old. Uh he's not a prospect and I don't I haven't at least read a story of the amazing adjustment that he made. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm fading Leon there. Same. Uh, I would take Hedges above him. He's younger, you know, had more pedigree, has that, has the story. Uh, Darno is an interesting case. I think he was hurt last year. It affected his swing. He started swinging in a different way that sapped all his power. I still see his ceiling is higher. Wait, Travis Darno was hurt? That's so weird. Yeah. It never and, happens. Well, the weird part about it was that he played. He, yeah, he put, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. We're, we're, we're being mean, but, uh, he, he has struggled. That's been the big issue right now, right? Because we've seen, we've seen flashes of, of high quality for, especially for catcher in fantasy baseball, um, for, for Darno, but it, it hasn't come to fruition for a, a full season or anything, anything close to it. We haven't even seen 450 plate appearances we've in this seen season. Better, we've seen better from Darno. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, so we I, saw 218 ISO in 2015. So you keep him uh, ahead of Hedges. Yeah. Okay, I that that that's fine. Let's jump down more to more to Hedges is is his level and talk about. You want to talk about healthy? Uh, Travis Darno makes fun of the health issues of of Devin Mazzarocco. Um and he's going pick 298. Uh, and then our, our where is, four. Where is Hedges actually going? Uh, uh, Hedges is 300 on the dot. Oh, wow. And and then Which we have basically might be not being picked most of the time. Exactly. Uh, well, and yeah, exactly. Because, um, they do these draft and hold 50 round leagues. That's why their ADP goes so deep because in those 50 round leagues, all these sorts of guys get taken. And so they do have an, an actual ADP, but in a 15 team mixed league, it means Hedge is not necessarily going all the time. I'm saying maybe he should. Uh, what about in comparison to Mezzarocco at 298? And then our boy that we just talked about, Jan Gomes at 311. Hedge is actually Over going ahead Gomes. of him. Oh, okay, so keep him ahead of go. Maybe over Mesoraco too, because Mesoraco is like easing his way into games, and he has to refine what he did before, but also, um, but also be healthy. So, I think we found we found a couple guys who take him over. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. No, no need to belabor that point. Uh, Mesoraco has only played three uh, spring training at bats too. I don't know if he's on a 
is he is he on a team with the with the WBC or something? Because he's not. If not, then he's just not playing. And and we're right back to where we always are with him, which is with health concerns. So um, I'm, I'm with I'm with you there. I think we figured out where Hedges is. We believe a little bit in what he did last year. The projections agree, and so that's where we're at. Last bit on the on the Padres. Um, they're deep level prospects, not not guys that are going to be impactful this year because we already highlighted that they just don't have a lot of now impact. Their now impact guys are already there: Manny Margot, Hunter Renfro, and then on the pitching side, nobody's close. So let's talk dynasty a little bit with Anderson Espinosa, Cal Quantrill, um, and Fernando Tatis Jr. I think those are their three big ones uh, who who folks are going to be chasing down in their dynasty leagues. How do you feel about those three? I think Espinosa has the best uh, upside of the brunch. Okay. And he's hitting 97 a day. He didn't. He was. He threw it a day. Didn't. He did not throw the change up much, which could become an issue down the road. But um, uh, Quantrill is a little bit more polished and might might go like go faster. It's kind of weird. Espinosa's pitched in the in not in the majors, but in the in the in pro ball a little bit more, but. Uh, and might end up in double A. They might both end up in double A, you know, because Quantrill's a college guy who's 22 mm-hmm. and just blew through rookie ball and A ball. I don't think there's a real reason to put him back in high A. I, I think, I think you put Quantrill in double A. Health is really the only thing holding yeah. Quantrill back. By the way, you might re- recognize the name. Paul Quantrill is his father. So we have two pedigree guys here with Fernando Tatis Jr. and Cal Quantrill. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Tatis, uh, I think the question is what position he'll play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he'll he'll probably hit. He's an exciting uh, hitter. Uh, there's you know some question about what his plate discipline will look like and his power, but he's 18. I think it'll be a while before we see him. I think they're they're betting on you know kind of 2019 or 2020. 2020 is what I'm seeing. A, they just signed a bunch of 16 year olds, so yeah, you know, no, I, I, it's going to take a while. Definitely dynasty aspect there that's why i said with, with with their prospects it's not a situation where we're getting a lot of impact this year except for the guys who are already on the roster you know i think that's going to wrap it up we covered two Woo. teams there uh got back on track a little bit we'll, we'll cover Looks some more like we made it so we're going to be um at are you at town you're going to town or no? no you're not going to town you go to you do labor you can only do one or the other i'm going to be at town next week so you and I will have to iron out our schedule to try to record earlier in the week. And I'm thinking that we might do a starting pitcher extravaganza. Ooh, we did we did the coverage when we talked about your rankings and outliers and that got it that was the taste. But now I think next week, maybe on, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I'll, I'll confirm with you on schedule. Uh we, we go top to bottom. We talk about each tier, not every player obviously, but we talk about favorites guys we don't necessarily like and we and we run the gamut we go about till you know adp 100 on pitcher um adp 120 we'll see how how deep it goes but it's going to be an extravaganza maybe we'll have a guest uh, or maybe it's just the both of us either way it's going to be late we should do that because i have to people have been asking for an update but i'm so knee deep in everything everything else cheeto sandwiches uh cheeto sandwiches (laughs) And Real catching up, work here, yeah, man. and catching up on home improvement seasons that you missed. Like you've got, you got stuff going on. So relax, folks. But yeah, if you can update your rankings, that would obviously 
marry perfectly. But even if you can't, this can kind of be your update where you talk because we'll have your rankings pulled up. You say, no, I moved this guy up, et cetera, et cetera. So I apologize to those of you drafting this weekend. You won't have it. But everyone drafting the weekend, the two weekends after, and those are the two biggest draft weekends, you're going to have an extravaganza. And we just went an hour and a half on Cleveland and Sandy freaking Ego. So you can expect some greatness with the pitchers. It, it's it's going to be a long app and it's going to be great. So we'll plan for that early next week. You know, you and I will confer off um, offline to decide what day we're going to do that. Stay tuned on Twitter. Great talking to you. You know, I hope you have a great weekend. <laughs> There's a, there, if anybody heard in the background while Paul was talking, my cat decided to jump on my head. <laughs> it's, uh, is purring into the microphone. <laughs> Maybe they can hear that. Somebody could hear the bird chirping in Hawaii. Oh, that was amazing, by the way. I could hear that too, and I I, I was going to comment on it, but it was absolutely uh, very peaceful. Like it was very clear that you could hear it, and I'm like, yeah, that 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 creates a nice little uh, ambient effect to the podcast. If you could do every podcast from Hawaii, I would appreciate it. Yeah, well, I wouldn't mind. But you, you know, um, thank everybody for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>